everyone, we are back with a fresh edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. We had a little break, but like I said, back with a bang. Alexis Nunes here with Nathaniel Saunders, as I'm still calling him. No Lawrence Edmondson today, but we are replacing him. I wanted to say someone bigger and better, but it's hard to top Lawrence. But you know what? We got pretty, pretty close. Juan Manuel Correa is joining us, not just for today, but for the race weekend as well as we look ahead to Sochi today. Plus, just catch up with him and get everybody's predictions. Nate's bald predictions are definitely coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Pit Stop where we've got some questions from our viewers for Juan Manuel after what's been a pretty exciting uh, couple of weeks. So, Juan Manuel, I mean, we'll start with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to, good to have you back. It's been a bit of a whirlwind couple of weeks for you, hasn't it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um... Yeah, well, you've been keeping up with uh, my travels. I was in Europe, just came back. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's like I was telling you, it's starting to get to that point where it's getting busy for me. I'm planning next season at the same time, still doing the rehab surgeries. Um, but I'm enjoying myself and I'm busy. So that's what, what's important. And a man who's always busy, Nate Saunders. He's also joining in with us. Nate, you had a little bit of a break since we obviously had a gap in the calendar. How, is, how have you been doing? Yeah, good. I climbed a mountain in Wales, so that was what I did at the weekend. <laughs> I um, it's the fourth biggest in Wales. So for anyone listening, that's uh, you know part of the UK. Um, I think it's the sixth biggest in the UK. So uh, I did that on Saturday. So quite a nice way to relax from um, motor racing. Wow, casual, casual job. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I I'm tempted to say what I did at the weekend, which was literally work. Uh, I went to Stamford Bridge. That was it for those of you that may not know. That's Chelsea's football ground to watch them get walloped by Liverpool. So sorry if any Chelsea fans are listening, but it is what it is. I'm not a Chelsea fan or a Liverpool fan, so uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool there. But obviously, it doesn't compare to what you two guys did. You are all men here. You roar. So like I said, we will look into Sochi. Um, but first, we'll definitely catch up properly with Juan Manuel. Plus, we will pay off some new stories that we may be looking ahead to as Nate probably will give us some more details on them. But, Jim, first, again, let's start to you because the, the main thing is the last time we did speak, you know, it was about the last year that you've had, you know, since the accident and since, of course, the unfortunate passing of Antoine Hubert. We were all reminded of that just a few weeks ago back at Spa. Um, you were there. So just put into words what that experience was like to just, you know, be back. We saw the images, but... I mean, it definitely would give us a different feeling coming from you. Yeah, it, it was um, really a roller coaster of emotions. Um, I would say that probably it was um, not such a big shock to me uh, the weekend because, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that accident and that day um, every day for the last year or more. Um, and other people obviously haven't, you know, they've gone on with their lives, they've been doing seasons. So, for many people, it was, you know, quite strange to, to be reminded of all that. For me, it's it's been kind of my life ever since August 31st, 2019. Um, so in a way, I was, um, you know, I've been in kind of that, that mood the, since then. But but it was very nice to be there. Um, it was a last-minute trip, you know, I hadn't planned for, for a long time. Uh, but, you know, I was feeling quite okay with my leg. I felt like I could do the trip over there. I uh, asked the organization and they loved the idea of having me there and uh, it was definitely worth it. I'm so happy I went. It was, uh, you know, I, I was able to see his mom. I was able to see a lot of my old uh, paddock family, you know, so I felt kind of back home in a way. Um, and yeah, I think it gave me 
a nice you know boost to to keep pushing through this last part of the rehab and start thinking about next year it seems like just on that you know the the stuff that we saw before the race both from f2 drivers and f1 drivers there's such a sense of unity i suppose i know obviously absolutely tragic circumstances but it seems like motorsport has really rallied together and it's a really nice like you kind of said there kind of sense of community coming out of everything that did happen there last year yeah definitely it's 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 a family you know uh, if you think about it there's uh 60 drivers in between f1 f2 and f3 or maybe you know 65 or something so it, it's very few people you know that are doing this so at the end of the day um we're kind of like a, a community we, we travel together you know during a season you're probably seeing your your rivals more than your own family throughout the year so that kind of gives you a sense that even though we are rivals and we're all fighting for the same top spots, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like your classmates in, in a way. So, yeah, the, the, the support was amazing for me, um, you know, and, and the whole weekend was very emotional in, in a positive way, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying, because I think even, you know, from the first time that we got to speak with you, um, you just always seem to have the positive outlook from it as well. And, and I mean, rightfully so, given the circumstances. But this weekend as well, as Nate said, I mean, just watching it on television, since, of course, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, none of us could be there. Um, you could sense the emotion, but it was more of that that family banded together kind of unity um what was some of your interactions like with either some of the f1 drivers or f2 and, and whatnot and just like you said seeing your your family away from home yeah unfortunately with most of the people they were quite brief because of the covid guidelines um so we had to be very strict with uh social distancing staying inside your bubble so i actually spent the whole weekend with uh one of my whole team's prema prema racing team um, and I was with them in their F3 program the, the whole weekend, pretty much. Uh, but, you know, I did get to, to see most of the familiar faces in the paddock, speak to other drivers I, I was racing against. And, uh, you know, I mean, to be fair, most of them were quite shocked to, to see me to, like for the first time. I think, um, you know, it, it's not weird for me anymore to see this whole metal frame I have in my leg. But for them, it's, it's quite a shock. You know, I have maybe 25 pins going through my leg. So... Um, some of them were very curious, others were a bit grossed out and they don't like that kind of stuff. Um, but I enjoyed, you know, just being there and, you know, it, at the end, it's, it's been my, my life since I was a, you know, a little kid to be in paddocks, to be racing all the time. So I kind of felt like I was really missing that in this last year because I've been here stuck at home just doing rehab and, and working out. So it was nice to get a breathe and, you know, just feel back in, in, in my habitat. And um, you mentioned the rehab there. How's how's everything going? And what's the um, I guess the time frame or the ambition for getting back to racing? Have you got any concrete ideas, or or maybe less concrete ideas, but more ambitious ideas for twenty twenty one? I got both. It's it's going quite well. Um, obviously, really ahead of schedule from what the doctors thought. Uh, I actually have a surgery on Monday, the coming Monday, in a few days, which I'm really excited about. Um, and yeah, you know, at the moment, the plan is to have all the medals removed in my leg by December of this year. Um, so it's, it's getting close. And after that, I am calculating to do a couple months of really, really intense rehab just to get, you know, a bit of the mobility back, a bit of the muscle back. Probably will not be at 100%, but I, I guess that's going to be enough to, to drive, you know. So I think, you know, realistically, we're looking at 
me driving in February 2021. I think that I could be ready by then. Obviously, I'm pushing to be ready earlier. If I can be ready by December to drive, that's uh, that would be amazing. But you know, it, it's it's a fine line between um, being realistic and and kind of you know over pushing it. And I, I don't want to over push it and then go back um, because I've, I've done too much. So I have to be smart about it. Uh, but I'm very motivated. Wow, driving by. February 2021. I don't even know if I can run a 5K by February 2021, but I've been trying to. I'm on my um, Nate Saunders summertime fine body by Nate routine soon enough. Granted, I've been really bad um, as I eat pizza right now, but uh, that is brilliant news definitely uh, to hear. Um, but I know as well, you also said you have surgery coming up on, on Monday, right? Yeah, they're, they're just uh, removing part of the frame. So it's getting smaller each time. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I probably told you this the, the last time we spoke, but I never thought I would be excited for surgeries, but I mean, it's like, I'm going to a huge party, you know, I'm like, I can't for Monday, but you know, I'm just so excited. I can't wait. Oh, definitely. We do get excited for you indeed. And I mean, as much as we want to see you back in the car as well, we do love having you as a sort of, you know, quote unquote guest analyst on this one, you know, um, especially get your predictions too up against Nate that we will later on in the show, guys. So stay tuned for that. But first of all, again, last time we did speak, um, you know, I was trying to get a feel from what drivers would be feeling like now through you, especially given it's a pandemic and we didn't have a season or knew when we were going to have a season back then. Now that we have had um, a bit of a season, there's still a lot of getting used to with this new kind of sports world or, or way to function in the world just overall because of the COVID pandemic. But what have you made of the season um, so far? What has been probably your highlight? Um, well, I, I think uh, as a viewer, Monza is probably the, the highlight. <laughs> it was such an amazing race to watch. Uh, I also know Pierre uh, personally quite well. And uh, yeah, I was extremely happy for him. Um, but I think in general, um, the whole season has been really interesting to watch the, the midfield battle, you know, the, what the, the, the fourth best team. Because we have obviously, um, well, Ferrari's not in the top three anymore, but we have Mercedes and Red Bull up there. Uh, and then we have all these teams, you know, like Racing Point, Alfa Tauri, uh, McLaren, Renault. They're, they're so close. I mean, it's crazy. If, if you would take Red Bull and Mercedes out, it would be really close. We're talking about, you know, sometimes we have four teams within, you know, half a second. So um, for me, that's been really exciting to watch. Uh, unfortunately, I think for the general public, they don't pay attention so, so much to that battle. You know, you have to be more of a very invested fan to, to even know about that. Uh, but that's been uh, really interesting for me. Yeah, and just speaking of Monza, Monza almost did that perfectly, taking those first two teams out of things and then we saw how good it was after that because that that was what was crazy about that race was it was like everyone was saying we got to take mercedes and red bull out of it and monza said all right cool here's what that looks like just on 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 gasly we had him on the podcast a couple of days after that win did you call him in the days after because i think in his list of calls was the french president he had neymar he had all sorts of guys so i wonder if you managed to get get hold of him in those days after i i, I did message him uh but no you know i mean I know how many calls he must have got. I didn't want to be just one more. So I sent him a quick message and he thanked me. Yeah. And Juanma, well, as you were saying that, you know Pierre so well and that you're a friend. So, I mean, it was absolutely massive. We, those of us who didn't know him like that well were absolutely buzzing just for him, knowing the fact that he did go through, 
you know, a bit of a tough year that he has spoken about too with the loss of, you know, Antoine Hubert. We know how close they were. And then, of course, being dropped safe from Red Bull and people wondering if he can even claw his way back up the ranks again. So for you as a friend, as a driver, someone that knows him well, you know, how brilliant was it to, to, to see that win? Yeah, it, it was it was really important for him. Um, it's a big deal, obviously, because your, your first F1 win is something you never forget about. But I think um, for him and for his career, it's really important that he's kind of establishing himself back in the paddock, you know, and kind of securing his future in the sport in, in a way, you know. I don't know um, if he will ever get a top drive again. You know, th this world is unfortunately very cruel and he might stay in a midfield team for the rest of his career. But I think with the results he's getting, his chances are definitely increasing to getting a top, a top drive. And if he doesn't, he's kind of just securing, you know, a good career in F1 anyway. So um, for me, you know, if, if I was him, that's the way I would see it. You know, it's just kind of establishing yourself there. Uh, because, you know, if, if we're talking maybe six months ago, we didn't know if, if Pierre Gasly is going to stay in F1 at all, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's good for him. It's really good. I'm, I'm really, really happy. Do you think that, um, as some people probably were wondering if after the whole Red Bull fiasco, do you think that he had a point to prove and then, I suppose, now has proved it? Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, from the people that know him, uh, we know how good he is. You know, he's shown that in, in the junior categories. He showed it in his first year in, in F1. Um, but definitely he, he had a point to prove. It's probably one of his biggest motivations as well to do this so well this year, you know. Um, we're competitive people. And when people tell us you cannot do that or you're not good enough, uh, then we're going to push very hard to, to prove them wrong. So I'm sure it had something to do with it. And just going back to what you said about um, him establishing himself, it must be strange for you when you've, you've raced against guys who in the junior categories were, were among the, you know, they were the best guys. Pierre was winning a lot of championships. And we see it with Lando and with George Russell as well. When they enter F1, to the casual fan, they've almost got to reestablish themselves and reprove themselves that they're worth it. Which I guess is a strange thing because your your junior career almost gets you to F1. And then it, for a lot of people, I guess it doesn't mean as much as it might have done when you were winning championships, etc. So do you think there's been, I guess, a resurgence recently of these young guys coming through? Because it seems like we're seeing all the young guys who were good at the junior levels now kind of establishing themselves. George Russell's been doing really well. Lando's obviously taking some podiums. It seems like we're getting that fresh generation coming through now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the new generations that are coming up, um, which includes me and, and my, my generation, um, people, you know, don't realize really the level that we have in the junior categories, um, which is kind of normal, you know, if, if you're not really following it, if, F1 is kind of all there is to it for, for some fans. Um, but, you know, th this is a, a really cruel world in the sense that you might be very good one day, you might be very good in one category. Um, everyone knows you're, you have a lot of talent. Um, and then people just forget about you, you know. I mean, even in my case, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a seat for next year. And, you know, it, it's hard in this world. If you're not there constantly getting the results and constantly showing and proving yourself, uh, people are not thinking, oh, well, he was good one year ago, you know, he, he has talent. Unfortunately, that's not the case because there's so many kids that, that have talent that are coming up. It's, um, so, you know, for, for people like Landon and doing really well against established F1 drivers, because it kind of proves that, you know, 
these are guys that we have beaten in, in categories and, and we have been racing against and we know we can be you know, almost as quick or as quick as them. So it's, uh, it's a good feeling. Definitely. Well, I suppose um, with that, we could probably start looking ahead to Sochi because um, that's definitely what's coming up this weekend. We're excited to finally get some action again, even though we did enjoy the little break or some of us did. Some of us had times to climb mountains or the highest mountain in Wales. But anyways, let's tackle now some of the quick news stories, of course, that have come out. Of course, we're still expecting plenty more to come up. But one of them we do want to chat a little bit, I suppose, Nate, um, now that we do have Juan Manuel about um, Formula 2 and the drivers there and kind of because we feel like JM that there is there is a lot of excitement to see who could be coming up and especially a lot of eyes and rightfully so on a certain Mick Schumacher considering that we've had very well considering we see the struggles with Ferrari but we've also had you know a lot of milestones for Ferrari just recently so from what you've seen as well I know you know these guys quite well too um, who's getting you excited? Um, well, per, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm getting excited, um, <laughs> not, not, not in any way, you know, it's not that I, I don't like that they're going up. I think it's great. Uh, but you know, I, I've been racing with these guys, uh, since I was a little kid. So, um, I'm definitely happy for whoever is going up. Um, I'm pretty sure, um, I, I know at least one that's going up, which is Mick, you know, if, if he keeps doing a good season, um, you know, his, his seat in F1 is pretty much secured from my point of view. Um, what is more interesting for me is that I think there's a, a real possibility that it will not be just one guy going up from F2. You know, we have um, on one side, you know, obviously the Ferrari Driver Academy, which will have at least one um, going up. And we also have Yuki Tsunoda with Honda and then Alfa Tauri, which seems like he could be making the jump. So, you know, I think it's not so likely, but it might even be possible we have three new drivers in F1 next year from F2. Um, I don't know who's going to be the second Ferrari driver. I know the first one will be Mick. Um, and then, you know, maybe Yuki will make the switch. And there's even talks that there might be, you know, either Callum Eilat or Schwarzman going up. So um, at the moment, it's all speculation. I don't have any insider information uh, to, to give you. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, sucks. You know, Get him off. <laughs> I'm, I'm just talking from a, a fan's perspective. Yeah, yeah and I, I think you're right about the Ferrari Academy. It's been fascinating watching that. And the four of those guys are in the championship fight behind Schumacher. It's Eilat, Schwarzman, Lungard, I think is the order. It might be the other way around. Um, but that's fascinating as well. But just on, you mentioned Sonoda. And I think he's a really fascinating case in this because it seems this year we've spent so long talking about Albon and Gasly and will they switch over and stuff but no one's really been talking about Danny Fiat and the other seat there and Sonoda seems to have put himself into that conversation how much how much have you raced against him in, in the past because it seems like he's kind of come under the radar and is suddenly now in that conversation again and I'll admit a year ago I didn't know really anything about him and now he's a guy that we're talking about maybe making that step up yeah uh, I actually have never raced against Yuki because I think he did most of his junior category in Japan. Um, he came over last year to F3, and uh, I was doing F2. Uh, he actually raced in uh, my old team that I was doing GP3 with, uh, with Jenser Motorsport. He had my engineer and everyone. You know, so I know I know him a bit since then. Um, and then obviously this year I'm not racing, so I haven't shared the track with him. Uh, and he's definitely come under the radar. You know, I didn't know who he was until last year as well. Um, but, you know, it seems like he's very talented. He's very quick. 
Um, he's a really nice guy. Uh, he doesn't speak so much English, but he's, uh, you know, m most Japanese people I know are very polite and really nice. Um, and he, he's, he's not an exception. Um, and yeah, I, I think definitely Kvyat seed is, is in danger here. So we'll see. It's, it's interesting. And um, I know you said you didn't have any insider information, but if you were if you were Ferrari or you were Alfa Romeo, who would you promote alongside Mick? Assuming it is Mick that goes up there, is there a guy that you think out of the collection of them has kind of earned that seat? If, if they, they do have two seats, um, I would probably just give it to whoever finishes higher in the championship. You know, it, it, I think it's the fair thing to do. All, all three of their drivers, so Mick, Robert, and, and Callum, I think they're in, in good enough teams to win the championship, you know? Um, so really whoever, whoever finishes, you know, in front of the other guy should technically take the seat. Obviously there's always politics involved. I'm not really sure what are the politics behind that. I'm, I'm, I'm not into that program. Um, so yeah, we will see. Maybe there is only one seat, you know, we're, we're just speculating at the moment. And just finally on F2, I mean, it's been such an open championship there. For you watching, how much, how much of like, wanting to be out there has there been because it looks like it's been a really competitive championship from the outside the sort of one that i guess if you were part of you might be in there you know getting the pole positions and some of those wins yeah i'm definitely i get a bit frustrated you know when i when i see it it's hard to to stay on the sidelines and, and watch all these guys that i've racing uh against uh, i've beaten them even last year you know um, if you look at some of the rookies that were with me, I was in front of most of them in, in the championship and now they're fighting for the championship. So, um, you know, it, I think it's 50% frustration, uh, but other, the other 50% is kind of reassurance that, uh, you know, I, I could be up there, you know, if I was beating someone last year and now they're up there in a way it's, it's positive for me. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just have to be patient. Uh, I have to accept what is and kind of just, take the best thing uh, from here forward for, for me and for my career. That's a perfect way to look at it. And I'm sure you'll definitely, we'll be excited once you do eventually uh, get back there as well. And in some other news, uh, we have two more stories, I suppose, to pay off. But let's go for what we're expecting from the Eiffel Grand Prix coming up, Nate. That's later on, of course, in the year. But uh, we're expecting some 20,000 fans, right? Yeah, so th this next slate of races have all been venues that have been quite optimistic about getting fans. We obviously had a, a handful of fans at Mugello. And, um, you know, F1's not alone in this. A lot of sporting events now are trying to get fans in, you know, kind of drip feed them back in. And um, I've got to say, it's it's, it's great. 20,000, it's optimistic. And if they can get them all in, that would be awesome. Because there's been, there was some moments, you know, at Mugello, and I obviously thankful that there was no one hurt in that in that accident at the beginning but when they kept showing those replays um on the start finish line you could just see how empty the the whole place was and it from a viewing perspective it it still feels very strange to see empty grandstands during a race so it's um it's encouraging and i think i think you i think we've spoken about this before on the pod you you notice it less in racing because people don't cheer they don't cheer and over, overtake the same way they cheer a goal but there's been some moments on the track this season that i just thought you know like gasly gasly you know the, the poor guy sitting on the podium on his own <laughs> with no fans there i imagine it in a way is almost as memorable as it would have been with fans there because it's such a different moment but that would have been so cool if he'd been able to celebrate with some fans there so it's um it's encouraging and hopefully if 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 that is the case um we can see it you know, further down the line as we get these the, the the rest of the championship kind of ticked off 
And Sam, how about you? How did you find it, I suppose? Because I know when we, um, from, you know, journalist perspective and just fans perspective, watching all the sports coming back on television, it is really weird saying other sports like cricket and football as well. But Formula One, at least you can still, with the roars of the engines, you can still get some of that excitement back. But it's true as someone, as a driver, and then probably being there at Spa, was it, was it, how weird was it, I suppose, not having the fans? And then probably would it make, it even sweeter now to know that they're at least trying to get some 20,000 as ambitious as it is back in. Yeah, it, it was, um, it was pretty boring with our fans, with our people. Um, and, and especially with, with all the COVID restrictions they have inside the paddock, obviously they're very um, strict about it. They don't want anyone getting sick. Uh, but you know, that meant I couldn't go see my friends from Alfa Romeo and it, it was not, not ideal, but, they have to do what, what they got to do. I, I find that many drivers have realized actually what an important part of, of the weekend fans are, which we probably didn't realize before because we were so used to it. Uh, but there's definitely a different energy when, you know, you're surrounded by thousands, thousands of people, you know, asking for the autographs, making noise. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't think it makes any difference really for the performance of the, of the drivers, uh, but it's just a nice touch to have. So, I, I know that some drivers are very excited to have at least, you know, 20,000 fans this weekend, which is more than they've had all year. Um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, even at Mugello, just at least on the television, um, <laughs> it was still kind of cute that, you know, when Lewis obviously finished, came out of the car and almost forgot to turn to the side. And then he did because you just hear like literally what felt like 10 claps in the side, just like, yeah. <laughs> it was almost like, you know, when you do something and then it's just your family cheering you on. But um 20,000, as Nate said, is ambitious, but uh, we'll see what happens. That is still about a month away, so hopefully. I don't, I don't know how much of you know, coronavirus will be under control back then, but hopefully we do get to see uh, massive leaps and bounds. And then final news story, of course, has to do with the man that I did just mention, and it perfectly brings us into our preview of the race weekend at Sochi. Lewis Hamilton, though, all eyes definitely on him as he continues to race against his biggest rival this season, which has been just Michael Schumacher's records. Uh, we know that he could equal his race win record at the Russian Grand Prix. And Jam, we'll start with you because um, Nate and I and Lawrence always are talking about Lewis's exploits. But this was really just a matter of when and not if, wasn't it? And how far do you think he can go? Yeah, well, especially this season, you know, um, we know he's going to do it. So... To be honest, it doesn't bring me any excitement thinking that, <laughs> that he's going to do it this weekend. Um, but yeah, if, if it's not this weekend, it's going to be the next one. If it's not that, then it's going to be the next one. So um, he will definitely, you know, equal that. I think he's on for the seventh championship as well, right? Or is it six this year? Seven. Seven this year, yeah. Seven. Yeah, so, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of like asking if it's going to rain in the next two months here in Miami. I'm sure it will. <laughs> Um, the real question here for me is what is Valtteri Bottas going to do he's not going to win the championship but I think he, he should at least try to get a few wins I'm sure he's trying uh, but it would make things a bit more exciting so that for me is more the, the angle that kind of brings me a slight bit of excitement from, from that sense well, with that said, I suppose that um, can bring us straight into our preview now because, uh, as we said, we don't even need to preview what can Lewis do at Sochi because we know exactly what we can, he can do and we kind of expect him to do it either way. So the real question that we have been asking ourselves time and time and time again, I know Nate is sick of it, but it's, what's the deal then with Valtteri Bottas? Um, because 
it seems that, you know, from a driver's perspective, JM, what do you think it is? Is it, is he in his head a bit too much? Is it a mental thing or is he just not aggressive enough to say, take on Lewis? Where has he, I suppose, fallen short for you this season? It's difficult to judge from, from the outside, you know, um, I, I, I think um, I get the feeling that he's trying very hard, you know, uh, you know, he, he's, he realizes that the opportunity he has now um, to, to win championships, it will not be there forever. Um, it's probably, you know, his last years in, in this situation because either Mercedes will, will stop being dominant or he will get replaced. Um, so I, I kind of feel his frustration and, and his desperation, but you know, if it's just not happening, then it, it isn't. And it's, it's a tough situation to, to be in. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for people to say, yeah, he's not aggressive enough, you know, this and that, but you know, it's so hard to, to judge. I, I just hope for, for him and a bit for the sport as well, that he, he's able to, to make a bit of a step forward and, you know, but for him, it's a fine line because how much do you push and, and, and become aggressive and maybe, you know, stop being such a team player uh, to try to, to get your own championship, your own wins. But if he starts doing that, then his seat is going to be really much more on the line because if on top of not winning, he's not being a team player, then uh, he might get replaced uh, quite quickly. So it's, it's a tough situation to be in. Caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, and just and just on that kind of, I guess, a, a driver who's struggling for confidence. Have you ever been in a situation where I suppose maybe you've been overdriving the car or you've been you've been trying to find gaps to another driver? How easy in that situation is it to kind of start either second guessing yourself or making mistakes that are quite uncharacteristic because you're trying to find those limits and you're trying to do little things and little mistakes can have really big consequences when you're doing that. Yeah, I've definitely been in that situation and. That's what I'm telling you. It's not, it's not a good position to be in. Uh, you know, mentally, it, it takes a big toll on you. Um, I actually think he's managed it really well, considering, you know, he's been the second driver for such a long time. Um, we see sometimes drivers that just kind of spiral down and, and lose themselves, and quickly they're they out of the sport and out of the seat. So, you know, in, in that moment, um, I think experience makes a, a big difference. If, if you have that kind of self-trust uh, of you know you've been doing this for a long time you know you're good that that definitely helps to you know kind of stay calm which is you know kind of the situation Vettel finds himself right now and you know it's, it's a tough spot but that experience really helps if it was a more junior driver um I think he would have spiraled down into a deep deep dark hole so we'll see we will see indeed. And I mean, we will literally see as close as this weekend. Um, I suppose there's questions for both of you guys because we know that, um, as we said, the spotlight is going to be on Lewis. Uh, we all saw the news that, you know, Netflix and Drive to Survive already have their camera crew ready because it is supposed to be an historic weekend for Lewis. Maybe that could take some of the, I suppose, spotlights or pressure off of Valtteri. But what do you guys want to see from him to at least save some space this weekend? Like I told you, this doesn't excite me at all. Um, but it, it is a, a historic moment. Um, you know, I, I, I hope he doesn't. I have nothing against Lewis, uh, but I hope, you know, someone else wins it. And it also brings kind of the, the excitement behind this a, a bit further. Uh, but, you know, what, what I'm really, you know, what would be really um, exciting for me is if Valtteri takes, takes the win and 
starts to kind of turn things around. That that would mean would mean a lot. Yeah, I agree. I think as well. I think Sochi's kind of a quite underwhelming venue to do it at, especially. I mean, I, you know, it's not not a circuit I've ever been super excited to watch racing at. But um, I think I think yeah, yeah. I th I think I think the Bottas question is 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 super important. I think um, it will mean more to me this in the context of this season if Lewis has to wait a couple of races to get it. I don't think for Lewis it really means that much. He's always said he doesn't think too much about the stats, but. If he just wins it at a canter on Sunday, it almost it's very easy for somebody watching to just downplay it and say, well, look, Lewis has had it all his own way this whole time. So as JM said, you, you want him to have to fight for it. And I said it at Mugello, you know, you want Bottas to kind of, if he's going to, if he gets ahead of Lewis, he's got to make him say, well, look, if you want to get past me, you're going to really have to really work hard. You know, Senna used to put the car in the position to to basically say, look, if, if you want to pass me, it's either crash into me or stay behind me. You know, and it's not saying you should drive him off the road or anything, but you've got to make it difficult to beat you. And I think for Bottas, that's really the only position he's in. Um, I think it'd be nice if Lewis was able to do it in Germany, you know, and and if there's fans there, um, actually be able to do that uh, rather than Sochi. But it just it makes me sound like a, a, a massive Sochi hater whenever I talk about it because I'm never I'm just never that excited. But um, and and it, I'm glad it sounds like JM isn't either because um, yeah, I I thought it was just me on a, on a vendetta for a little bit. Well, you know what? Let's actually stick up in there because I always do have to ask you guys about each circuit because for those of our listeners that may not be um, familiar, say, with all these international circuits, especially because a lot of our listeners are in the United States. So, Jim, why is it not probably your cup of tea? Um, well, well, the circuit itself, it's, it's all right. Um, I actually, I've had good results there. So, from that sense, you know, I, I can't complain. But... Just the whole event, um, first of all, to get there, it's a pain in the butt. Like you have to take so many planes and maybe I took the wrong flights, but when I went there, I had to fly in this Russian airline, which I didn't know if the plane was gonna fall down or not, which was oh. super scary. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of like a, a ghost city because I think they built it for the Olympics some years yeah. ago and now there's nothing there. So it's not, not all that exciting. Um, I'm also not a fan of Russian food at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, outside the track, I, I don't have a good experience there. The track is quite okay, not the most exciting racing, but there there are worse tracks. I think I was on the same flight because uh, <laughs> I've I've been on every flight to Sochi. I just I'm I'm like this is going to fall out the sky or it's going to end up yeah. somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. I don't know if you ever ate out in Sochi as well. If you went to a restaurant, but you don't, you you get your pizza before you got your first beer, or they and they'd come yeah. up to you and say like everything okay with the food you say well no i haven't had it yet you know so it, it, very very weird play you when you're there if you're there with people in f1 or you know in the paddock you can kind of you share the experience together don't you like it's like this is weird but we're all in it together so i think that's the only good thing i've taken out of it it's one of those did you like the nate in, in, the, breakfast. in the morning yeah because in my hotel all they had was bread and uh, canned uh, chicken like jello canned chicken canned and... chicken Canned chicken. That sounds yeah. awful. We we I don't think mine was quite that bad, but it wasn't it wasn't breakfast I wrote home about. You know, it was stuff that I thought it, it, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. So I think really the, the you know I wasn't loving the experience, but then the breakfast really kind of closed the deal for me. And then Sochi is you know uh, yeah I mean. If you know, you know. <laughs> I feel I feel vindicated now because every so on this podcast, I'm always saying I don't like Sochi, blah blah blah. And Lawrence says, "Oh, I don't mind it too much." But I'm glad that we've got we've got 
you know, we've got an actual driver saying this now as well. So it's not just a journalistic, you know, rant that I'm going on. We've got some, we've got, I've got, I've got some support. That's good. I love it too, because I'm pretty sure we could bring up Nate's clip because literally when we were looking or talking about Sochi for a, a split second, I think in a couple of podcasts ago, Nate literally said he can comfortably say that he's happy if he never has to go there again. And I was like, oh, that's harsh, Nate. But now, <laughs> well, I mean, after hearing canned chicken, then I'm, I'm, I'm Gucci. I'm good. I don't... <laughs> to be honest, given the way this year's gone, if you'd said you can go to one race and it has to be Sochi, I'd probably have gone just because just to get back to the paddock. So I think I would have taken it now. So, you and know, the canned chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me all the canned chicken you got. If, if it gets me back <laughs> to the paddock for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, on in, in a normal year, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it top of my list. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, let's talk about, I guess, suppose uh, we started teasing about what we expect probably from Valtteri or what he needs to do to at least, you know, give Lewis a bit of a run for his money. But if it's not Valtteri, then... Where's the biggest threat going to come from and who could this track suit? Jam, let's, I guess, we'll start with you. Well, there, there's always Verstappen, um, which, you know, he, he has, it's not, it's not him, it's really more Red Bull, how, how they can get it together, how the car is performing in the track. I'm not really sure um, how the track suits them, to be honest. Um, but it can always be interesting. Um, and then, you know, we have... I think also what's going to be interesting is Alex Albon, you know, how he is he going to do coming back from his first podium? Um, is he going to be able to kind of put the pressure on, on Max, uh, maybe get a, another podium if, you know, something goes wrong for one of the Mercs or for Max? So um, I think that's also, you know, in F1, um, there's like little stories within, you know, so there's that kind of story between Valtteri, Lewis, then you have Max, Alex, um, and then you have kind of the midfield. So each each area is is having their own little like you know we'll see what happens. So it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, I think the Alex the Alex shout's a really good one because we were talking all, all year on this podcast before his podium like how important that first result was gonna be, and now he's got it. It might take some of that pressure off. I know that every race we were pretty much asking him like you know what do you what do you got to do to get this podium? Now he has it. He can actually just focus on maybe the little things that you know he wasn't beating Max at. The thing I'm looking forward to is the midfield fight again. You know, you mentioned you mentioned it earlier at Monza. Um, I think it's going to be fast. I'm fascinated to see how Renault do. You know, Renault kind of had a bit of a, a spike in performance at the last couple of races. The circuit changes a little bit here, but Renault, especially Daniel Ricciardo, when I say Renault, read Daniel Ricciardo, Ocon's not been doing quite as well. So I'm really, I'm really curious to see how he gets on. Um, but yeah, the, the, that's the, the great thing and the frustrating thing right now is that every race we come into, the midfield is impossible to predict, but we know exactly how the front fight is going to go. And um, if if we could just flip that round, I'd happily have a predictable midfield, you know, fourth through to tenth, if that was really predictable. But it was unpredictable up front, so uh, yeah, a lot a, a lot of uncertainty. I mean, um, JM, how would you how would you call it behind those front two? Do you do you have anyone you think might be kind of knocking on the door of that third podium spot if there's an opportunity? I think you know we we, we have to keep in mind Pierre. He's uh quite often being leading that, that midfield. Um, but, you know, there's, I think there's also people that, you know, they have the potential to be up there with him, even beat him. Uh, but they've been a bit unlucky. Things just haven't come together. We have people like, uh, you know, Norris, Sainz, so both McLarens are quite strong. But also, you know, Perez, he's been kind of lost this year. Um, not, not on his own fault, just, you know, things haven't gone his way. But we know that Racing Point has a really good speed. 
Um, I also think it's a matter of time until Daniel Ricciardo kind of pops his head in there and, and takes uh, advantage of an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe Daniel, uh, you know, if something, obviously, if something happens in, in the front and the opportunity comes, maybe he can take uh, his first 40 mode or not. It would be, it would be good. And I suppose just quick before we head on over to Pit Stop, which is where we have some questions from our viewers for you, and then we will definitely get our hard predictions. Um, as we were talking, as, as Nate kind of hinted, we have been talking so long about Alex Albon and what he probably was missing, what he needed, how it looked like his confidence was shot, and then finally gets this podium, And because we knew it came out, the timing of it was so perfect, wasn't it? Especially um, considering after Pierre's win, it seems like so many people were pretty much ready to go out with Alex again and said, bring Pierre back in. So, JM, just the timing of that podium must have done a world of wonders for him, right? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, personally, it's awesome to get your first podium. Um, I know he was super thrilled. I, I sent him a message as well. I'm really close to Alex. But, you know, he, he didn't... He didn't beat Verstappen. He had a problem. So I think there's still, you know, he has a job to do. And it is to, to I don't think he has to beat Max. You know, Max at the moment seems like he's pretty unbeatable in, in that Red Bull. But I think he does have to establish himself as, you know, the fourth guy in, in the field and constantly be there for Red Bull for, you know, exactly that, that thing. You know, if Max has a problem, you know, Red Bull, all they want is a driver that has the capacity to score points for them. Alex has that capacity and more. He's a super, super talented driver. Um, he just, you know, I, I guess there's some things he has to work out. The team has to help him. I, I don't know really what's going on in there, but um, I just hope they, they don't lose faith. And the thing I think is important about this podium is just for his confidence and also for the team. You know, it, it kind of boosts their confidence and I'm sure that's going to help them work out whatever issue it is they're having. Yeah, and just and just on Alex as well, um, Magello kind of, showed one thing Red Bull's always said is how good he is at overtaking and some of the ways he's you know he takes the fight to other drivers I think his move on Ricardo was great he also passed one of the racing points with a superb move through the the first sector um Christian Horner said something really interesting he said that sometimes Alex is too nice you know he's he, and he is a lovely guy when you speak to him do you think there's do you think there's some of that especially when you're against a guy like Max who's just kind of I guess so driven so so relentless in his pace you've got to almost you've got to kind of I guess leave some of that nice guy outside of the car because we know Alex can race and I suppose what he's lacking is it seems to be the qualifying pace that at the moment is is not there yeah um I mean there might be something um but to be fair you've probably never seen Alex mad but when Alex gets angry <laughs> he's a scary guy <laughs> so you don't want to mess with him too much um but you know I mean F1 is is very political um, there might be a bit, you know, they take him for such a nice dude inside the team that maybe they don't take him so seriously sometimes. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I have the feeling that the team, um, unlike, you know, the situation we had with Pierre um, in the end of, of last year, I think you, you could get the feeling then that they weren't so much behind him anymore. They had kind of given up on him. And I don't get that sense with Alex right now. You know, I, I feel like they see really the, the huge potential he has and uh, they want to work with him. So I hope it stays that way. And I'm really sure, you know, I would bet anything on the fact that he's going to come and he's going to be very close to Verstappen, if not beating him. So, you know, I just hope they, they have the patience to, to, to take him there. Definitely. Well, if anyone's um, 
been watching Tottenham Hotspur's documentary as Jose Mourinho loves to preach that nice guys definitely do not finish first. So <laughs> we'll probably tell Alex not to have. Hopefully he doesn't support Spurs because then well, he might not be liking what's going on there. I'm trying to. I'm trying to imagine an angry Alex Albon now. I'm, Me too. I really, like, really want to see it. When you said angry Alex Albon, I was like, nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust me, trust me. I mean, yeah, he, he, he can be petty. You know, it's not just angry. I mean, he, he's, you know, yeah. He, <laughs> watch out. Whoa, well, if we're talking. <laughs> yeah. If we're talking petty, then that's my kind of dude because I am petty LaBelle. Just call me petty WAP. That is my game right there. Love me some petty Alex. <laughs> we'll see if we get to see any of that. Although I definitely wouldn't want to be on the receiving side of his anger because it seems like it would take a lot for him to flip, but I would want to make it. Perfect, well now let's head right into Pit Stop where we got we asked our viewers um, and listeners on our social media to send in some questions for you, Juan Manuel, so we're gonna get straight into it. Adumbo asks, how did you manage school and training when you were going up the ladder to F2? Um, well, when I, that's, that's a great question. When I went into F2, I was already done with school actually, um, but uh, in, before that, so I, in the beginning, I started racing, I was going to normal school and just kind of missing a lot of classes while traveling. Um, and that worked up to a point, you know, but then when you go into high school and each time it's more workload, it became quite difficult. So I think it was 2016, I uh, stopped going to normal school and I began doing online school. So I found a program which I could do um, fully online from my computer and on my own schedule. So it wasn't with uh, live classes, you know, it was just like pre-recorded lessons. Um, it, it was the same program that a lot of Olympians uh, do. So it, it worked quite well. And I actually finished high school that way. Um, but, you know, it, it was a lot. It, it was hard um, to kind of have the discipline to be behind my computer for hours each day. And also I had to make up for all the time I was not doing it. So you know, the normal program, I think it was like four hours a day. And I was doing maybe 10, 12 hours the days I was doing it because I was missing so much uh, the other time. So it was tough, but I managed. And, you know, my dad always <laughs> put the condition that if I didn't do well in school, I was not driving. Um, so, you know, when I was going to normal school, if I didn't have A's in all my classes, I don't know how it works in England, but if I didn't have really good averages, um, I was simply not going. And, you know, one time I had a B, I think it was in history, and I couldn't go to a test. So, you know, I, I was, I, he was pushing me a lot. And, you know, in the end, I think that kind of put me in, in the structure that school was important for me. Yeah. Oh, good man. Wow. That's, a, oh gosh. It's like, but dad, it's my dream. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. Where's your A? <laughs> that's really, and for those of you who don't know that Juan Manuel smashed his Italian exam because he's fluent in Italian, but he didn't tell anyone. Nate, Nate, Nate's, Nate's family is Italian. So Nate, what was, what exam did you smash? What was your best, I suppose, topic or materia? I almost forgot how to say it in English, but yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah, it definitely wasn't Italian. I'm still trying to teach myself that. Um, <laughs> I was I hoping think... you were going to say it was. <laughs> no, 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 no. Otherwise I'd have, I'd have followed up in Italian, but um, no, I was always a history. I, I, I was good at history. That was my thing. Oh, that's good. I loved history. You look like a history guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just need the, I, I just need the glasses, I think, and then the set. Yeah. The, the look is done. <laughs> All right. Next question. This one's coming from Elka or Elkal. And they want to know what's the most difficult part about being a professional driver? 
managing um, school apparently <laughs> yeah no that, that's it's one of the tougher ones but I, I think the single most difficult one is just all the sacrifices you, you have to do um, in your personal life but if you want to be a professional driver you have to do it since a very young age and uh, you know you have to kind of choose between being a normal kid having a normal adolescent life with your friends partying whatever or being a driver you, you cannot have both um, I'm not saying one is better than the other one, you know, but um, I definitely had to choose uh, many times between, you know, going out with my friends or staying in and working out and doing my, my homework because I had to travel. So um, you have to you have to sacrifice a lot and people don't realize that. Oh, that's true. Like Nate now, because Nate's supposed to have drinks with us soon, but here he is on his day off. What a legend. F1... Not, it's, I mean, it's not quite the same, is it? I... I... <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs> so... like in life, you have to sacrifice at some point, you know? The problem is doing it so young. You know, a 12-year-old kid shouldn't be having to sacrifice his friends for exactly. training. It's not natural, but if, if you want to, to be good at it, you, you have to do it. So that, that's the toughest. You got to grow up quickly, I suppose. That's what they say. F1... Or colic. I'm assuming that's an F1 Esteban Ocon fan because their name is F1 Ocolic. Get it? Like Oconocolic? I don't know. I found that so clever. <laughs> Anyways, they want to know <laughs> what's your favorite healthy snack? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I thought it was clever. <laughs> it's like a. I didn't get that at all. <laughs> Like not not a single bit. Um, F1 Oconolic. <laughs> I'm just I'm just sitting I'm sitting here in complete silence. I don't know what's going on. This one wants to know what's your favorite healthy snack? What's my favorite? Ocon. <laughs> um, healthy snack. I, I don't I don't even know if I eat healthy snacks. What? A snack is not supposed to be healthy. That's true. It's supposed to have a little wiggle room if you're snacking, right? I mean, I, I would I would say nuts. I, I, I like nuts, you know, like the trail mix. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty healthy. Yeah, yeah that could go. My, I would say like flaming hot Cheetos, but that's definitely not, that's not healthy. That's <laughs> definitely not healthy. And final one, final question coming in from Koniki F1 asks, what are your plans for the future? Even though you did share a little tidbit. Yeah, my plans um, are to race next season. So I'm actually in talks right now. Um, I'm still not 100% sure what team, what category, um, but we'll see. I, I hopefully I have some news uh, maybe in a few weeks. Ooh, Carlos. <laughs> All right, final time, final segment rather. It is Nate's bald, bald, bald predictions, but there's <laughs> only one bald person here. But this is, as I was explaining to Juan Manuel earlier, that this is where we do try to... We still take predictions for your podium finishes at Sochi, what you expect to happen, and probably a surprise podium as we have kind of at least gotten used to in the last couple of weeks. Or So you can either, you know, just give us one bold prediction as you expect or all three podium finishes. So because you're our guest, why don't you go first? Okay, I'm going to say... Bottas, oh, Verstappen, and um, 
Albon. I'm going to go for a double Red Bull podium and Hamilton DNF. Oh, snap, crackle, pop. That is serious. But, you know, that would definitely get... That'd make for an exciting um, Sunday post pod anyway. So, Nate... Nate, Nate's been sad over the last couple of weeks because he feels like he's been holding back. So now that you've gone for such a bold podium finish, Nate, has that inspired you? Yeah, well, I was going to... So I was thinking Hamilton not finished would be the bold prediction, but I think I've done that before this season. So I'm actually going to I'm actually going to follow up with the theme of this podcast and say that Albon wins the race is my bold prediction. Again, it's bold, it's meant to be it's meant to be neck on the line, but if we get, you know, if there's some drama with the Mercedes guys, we saw Max didn't have it his own way at the last two races. So um yeah, you know, he's riding that he's riding that high at the moment. Um so in my bold prediction, I would say Albon. I wouldn't say it for my sensible prediction, but you know, for the for the purpose of this segment, that's what I would say. And just to point out, I uh, the last two races have been super close because I said him get a podium. I said he'd get a podium last time. I said Gasly would finish top five in Monza, and that's when, as you mentioned earlier, Lawrence kind of berated me for not really putting my neck just on going the line, for it. and I should have gone for it. So I'm kind of I feel like I feel like I'm in a good place. So if if Albon doesn't win this one, then you know I'm back to I'm back to where I was at the start of the season with these. And what about the rest of the podium? Uh, so if Albon was to win, I would say uh, Bottas, and then I suppose we'd have a surprise guy, wouldn't we? Because you wouldn't think Lewis would finish behind both those guys. So I'll put Danny Rick there. Why not? We'll put oh, Danny Rick on. Oh yes. And you know, I'm I'm expecting kind of a chaotic race here. I think the last if couple the races. If happens, yeah. I'll, I don't know. I think we should do like a bed. Like <laughs> I'll do a lap around my pool without it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll get we'll get like video of us all doing um cartwheels or something. Do you know I mean granted I did say I would do that if I got a Lando Norris podium and I did. We did get a Lando Norris podium. But um we'll see if we'll see if Lando can that would be my bold prediction and then oh and then we'll all lose it. You will I go think, around London with no shirt. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll run around London with a Lando Norris for president shirt or prime minister rather. <laughs> that would be absolutely brilliant. Well, perfect. Oh, now I'm fired up for this weekend. Now that we have some bold predictions, thank you so much, Juan Manuel, as always, for joining us, and we can't wait to have you back. That's right, guys. He will be back this weekend when it's all said and done at Sochi. Nate as well should be back. We'll see. Lawrence should join us as well. And hopefully we do get another chaotic yet exciting race and we get some exciting stuff to talk about. Um, but that's going to do it for us tonight. We're off. Nate's got to join me for drinks so we can recapture what's left of our social life before curfew hits again. <laughs> but everybody, stay safe. Please keep it across ESPN for all of the build-up for Sochi. Plus, if you are in the USA, make sure to tune into ESPN where you can find the Russian Grand Prix starting at 7.10 a.m. Eastern time. But it's bye for now.